So if you're in tech, the odds of you hearing the term OKR is actually pretty high. Objectives and key results or OKRs in short, uh, it's basically a framework that's been adopted by top tech companies in the Silicon Valley and beyond, and especially effective uh, for dealing with uncertainty, you know, in an innovative work setting where you're focusing on the outcomes and not just like the outputs. Now, today I'm going to be talking with Philippe Castro. Philippe is actually one of the leading global OKR thought leaders and trainers and also described by Marty Kagan as one of his six favorite thinkers about product. Uh, now, as an OKR trainer, you know, Philippe has trained thousands of individuals and also helped some of the world's leading tech companies uh, become more adaptive and focused. Now, we will dive deep today, guys, into OKRs and actually how they can help take your products to the next level. You know, we talked about the most important factors uh, to setting these objectives and key results with examples. We'll also discuss how to balance between these moonshots and roof shots when you're setting these OKRs and also the environments where the OKRs actually are most effective. So get ready, guys, for today's talk on all about OKRs with Philippe Castro. Hey, I'm your host, Cyrus Sleeman, and welcome to PM Hub Podcast, a show dedicated to bringing you fresh and unique insights from product leaders and tech entrepreneurs. Hey, Philip, welcome to PM Up. Uh, thanks, Cyrus. Thanks for having me. No, it's great for sure. So let's talk about OKRs today, Philippe. Uh, now, tell us, first of all, like, tell us about where does it come from, this whole OKR? What's the origin? Uh, OKR is basically uh, an agile, interactive, interactive approach to goal setting, for setting alignment and priorities, what's created in Silicon Valley. Um, the first company to start using the the original cost was Intel, uh, but it was really took off when Google adopted it, uh, the very first year of operations. And actually, Intel didn't even, need a, even use the term OKR. So OKR is a crowdsourced uh, approach, which is part of the, its power because it's created by practitioners. Right? It's basically evolved in Silicon Valley from company to company, um, and it's used by most of the high-performance technology companies today. Very cool. Now, why would you think you know OKRs are becoming increasingly more popular? You know, what what edge does it give it to the organization? Uh, first of all, uh, since OKR uh, was created and evolved in Silicon Valley, it was created to deal with uncertainty and innovation, right? So it was not while the, some of the traditional approaches to planning and goal setting, they they were created to industries with very long investment cycles like I know, steel or mining, right? With five-year, ten-year planning cycles, OKR was created for to to deal with high-growth companies, Intel, to speak, Google, right? So it was created to deal with uh, uncertainty, innovation, and autonomous teams. So that's the core of what many organizations are looking for today: to be more agile, more dynamic, more innovative. So it fits very well with the the needs of a company that wants to compete in the 21st century. Yeah, for sure. Especially during COVID times, I've noticed, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, dealing with uncertainty. I've noticed uh, a lot of my previous guests talking about switching to OKRs just because they're not sure what's going to happen, right? So that's a great point. Oh, yeah, definitely. COVID was a major uh, boost to OKR, of course, uh, because suddenly everybody agrees, yeah, we can't plan. (laughs) So... 
right. now everybody understands we don't have a crystal ball nobody can predict the future so uh, it was definitely a push to okay adoption for sure. So what would you say from your own experience, Philip, what would you say is the least understood uh, about OKRs? The least understood about OKRs um, is that people believe that can use OKR without changing the way they work. Uh, I call this the Tinkerbell approach to OKR, where basically you, you sprinkle some OKR fairy dust on top of a traditional company and it magically turns into Google. Uh, of course, that doesn't work. OKR comes from a radically different culture, a radically different model, and it's part of the overall Silicon Valley model, right? And it fits the, where each part fits and builds on, on each other. And you can't simply take something that was created in a very different model and believe it will fit in a traditional company using traditional management and traditional practices. So that's by far is the least understood uh, dimension or concept around OKR because an OKR is very easy to consume it's very hard to produce so uh, sometimes people see a well-written OKR hey that's easy but it's just like reading a, a well-written book yeah very easy to read very very hard to write so um, <laughs> I guess that the most the least understood concept around OKR is that um, it's totally different and requires a completely different mindset and approaches from the traditional traditional companies and it actually requires unlearning lots of the old models and mindsets and that's something that people don't realize for sure yeah that's such a good point you're bringing up you know practices versus processes right you know you can certainly adopt the how-to's you know, or the processes, uh, let's say, but then the practices and the way you work and the mindset is actually what, what makes a difference, right? That's a great point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anyone can call, suddenly call, every team is now called a squad. That doesn't mean they, were, they are suddenly Spotify, right? So it's okay. something very similar happens to OKR. Hey, we're using OKR. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. So now breaking the OKRs, you know, the acronym into objectives and key results, right? Uh, what are the most important keys to effective team objectives in your opinion? Okay. Yeah, the way to, to, to create good OKRs for, for teams or for product teams is, first of all, is the idea that you are not giving them a, a solution to build, not giving them a feature to build. We're giving them a problem to solve or an opportunity. To, to work on, right? So instead of giving them a specific implementation to work on, right, to build, you give them a business need or a customer need to work on. That's the crucial distinction, right? And it starts by giving them an, an objective that actually describes what you want to improve um, and actually discussing that problem with them and discussing again, uh, there's a lot of uh, a converse, conversation with between managers and teams around hey, what's the best objective for what we want to achieve, what are the key results actually measure if you want to achieve. So the best way to understand it is, is the objective describes what you want to improve. The key results are how you measure if you're actually getting there, if you're actually improving something, right? So it's more, you have to focus around the outcomes you want to achieve. And in OKR, outcome has a very precise meaning, which is the measurable benefits for your customers, for your organization, or for your employees. So 
what are those measurable benefits you want to, to produce? That's the big question. And that's the conversation you have with the teams, right? So again, the objective describes what you want to improve and the results are how we measure if you're actually working, if you're actually succeeding in doing that. Sure. Now, you touched upon it a little bit, but uh, who should be involved in selecting which objectives to work on for each quarter? Yeah. The main thing is it has to come from strategy, right? So it starts with having a, both a company strategy and product strategy and understanding hey, what's the most important thing we need to do based on the insights, based on the evidence. So it starts with the strategy. Right? Then based with the strategy, then you, you give a team a problem to solve and then there's a conversation, right? So uh, the why comes from the, the from leadership I and mean, why are we doing this? Why is this important? The what, what benefit do we want to achieve? How are we going to measure it? Comes from is it in a conversation between the leaders and the teams and the how, what are the ideas we're going to test for the hypothesis? It's up for the team. The team has the autonomy to test different ideas, different solutions. So usually, deciding who needs to be involved is leadership comes with the strategy and then there's a conversation between leadership and, and the, all the members of the team to discuss, hey, what's the, the real objective, what we want to achieve. So uh, John Cutler describes in a, in a way that I like about which is the leader or manager sit down with, sits down with the team and says, hey, this is my mental model. This is the way I'm thinking about it. Now let's try to poke holes on my mental model to see if, it's, if it stands, mm -hmm. right? So you have a conversation, right? So you explain to the team the, the, the customer problem. You explain the business strategy, you explain the main metrics. Explaining the context is crucial, right? And then you have a conversation about, okay, what's, what's, what are we going to measure, measure here? What are the best results we can have? What's the best way to describe that objective, right? So that type of conversation is crucial. And it includes explaining the context. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So now, you know, talking about uh, the level of ambition for each of the objectives, Philip, uh, how do you balance between ambition, uh, very ambitious ones, like, you know, called like moonshots and the conservative objectives, like the roof shots, uh, you know, when setting objectives? Yeah, first of all, uh, there's a very, one of the things that one of the understandings of OKR that every single key result has to be aspirational and very, very ambitious, which is not true, right? Setting uh, aspirational targets or moonshots, it's very, very hard. It's probably the hardest component of OKR because it requires a complete different mindset. It requires a different mental model, requires different compensation. It's very, very hard to put it in practice. Right? So I usually strongly recommend that people start with uh, regular targets, moon, uh, roof shots, things that are hard, predictable, Right? Harbor achievable. And then over time, you can start setting more and more ambitious uh, OKRs. So hmm. usually the idea is, is learn first. It's a journey. So you start things that are more predictable. And then over time, you can start experimenting with more and more aspirational, more and more ambitious uh, OKRs. So in a single OKR, you can have, for example, two key results that are regular, like roof shots. You can have one thing, oh, this one thing is really hard, this one thing is very, very uh, ambitious. Right? That's one way to put it. Because um, if you think about it, the idea of let's try to do four very hard things at the same time during, during the same quarter is not a very good idea. Right? It doesn't make mm -hmm. much sense. Right? 
And it's probably a sign of lack of focus. Oh, I want to try four very hard things at the same time. Usually, you should try to do like one. Let's try one very hard time. Maybe that's that makes sense. Okay. So um, definitely uh, thinking about that balance is important, right? And it's also uh, for teams that are ready or mature enough. They have a great relationship with managers. The environment is very important because otherwise, it's just there are several issues that can be, can be created by using moonshots. Uh, so I will definitely take baby steps towards setting mm -hmm. more uh, ambitious targets. Like what you hear so far? Make sure to never miss an episode by clicking on the subscribe button now. This podcast has been made possible by listeners like yourself, and I'm thankful for your support. Now let's head back to the show. Very cool. Now, talking about, you know, the objectives and like, you know, the difficulty of them, like, can you assign the same objective to multiple teams or vice versa? Yeah, you can have actually uh, the concept of shared OKRs, where uh, two or more teams share the, the same OKR. It's very, very common, right? It's very, very important. Um, depending on the team topology, you need more than one team to work together to create to test different ideas until they find a solution that works, right? So the idea of a shared OKR is that uh, two teams or more, they share the same OKR, the same objective and the same key results, and each one has different activities. So each one is going to do different things, but they're working together to move the needle on those uh, key results. So definitely you can share uh, 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 an OKR, right? Uh, what you can do is you can take also a high level problem or opportunity you can slice it, break it down into components. Right? You can decompose that high level, uh, say, key result into, into parts and give a slice to each team, right? So, for example, let's say you want to increase, I don't know, engagement or usage of this thing. You can break it down into different parts of the, the product, and each uh, team has a, one component that contributes to that high level thing, for example, right? Uh, say we want to reduce the uh, user complaints, and you can say, oh, we're reducing complaints about this part of the product, this part, that other part of the product, that other part of the product, for example. Right? So uh, you can so slicing a higher level key result or, uh, into parts is one of the easier, easiest ways to uh, take, a, take on a large problem and have several different teams working on that very large high-level problem. Right. Now, in such a case, when you have, you know, like you said, multiple teams working on the same big problem, how do you attribute, like, progress uh, for each of those teams working on it? Yeah, the, the easy way is to break it down for, uh, slice it into to different components so it's easier to measure. So, uh, for example, as I, uh, let's say you want to reduce, say, user complaints, right? Um, mm -hmm. or support calls. Somebody has to call you to, because then you can say, oh, support calls due to that feature, support call, calls due to uh, Android app, support call, calls due to iOS app, support calls due to, I don't know, billing, support calls due to, so you take a high level number of support calls, for example, mm -hmm. and you break it down to different components and you assign each of those components to different teams. That's the easier way, easier way to, to attribute, right? Uh, another yeah. way to do attribution is by doing an A-B task, right? 
And then mm -hmm. teams that are more experienced with with experiments, they actually are pretty good at doing uh, that. They can just um, do an A-B test and compare the users that are exposed to their new solution and compress to the, mm -hmm. to the rest, the control group. And actually by doing that, they can do attribution. Right? So the two most common ways are either slicing into components or doing A-B test or something similar. Right on, right on. Now you gave us, uh, you know, a few examples, but if you were to really, really, uh, you know, drive it home and kind of like nail it, what are some examples of like so, some some good objectives, objectives, and also some of the examples like actually are the bad objectives in your opinion? Yeah, sure. Yeah, the first thing is um, the first tip I usually give is if you have to stop to take a breath while reading the objective, you're doing it wrong, right? Because sometimes people write very long objectives, right? Like several, several sentences in an objective, and you have to actually stop to, to catch a breath while you're reading an objective. So that's a terrible sign. Right? Mm -hmm. A good objective describes a problem or opportunity in a concise and engaging way. So that's the concept of a great objective, right? Describes a problem or opportunity in a concise and engaging way. So for example, Google has a really good one from, from 2008, make the web as fast as flipping through a magazine. Mm. That's something that's short, it's engaging, it's a problem. How, how do you make the web faster, right? Uh, but instead of simply saying, hey, make the web faster, making the web, make the web as fast as flipping through a magazine. He adds that uh, engaging component, right? Because in OKRs, uh, they actually don't have to be boring, right? So making them more compelling, more motivation, more engaging, is a good practice in OKR, right? So they can be as simple as um, uh, delight our customers, right? Or for example, there's another one, uh, an engineering team I worked in the past, they wrote one which was party like is 99.99% of time, right? <laughs> so, so what they did was they took something like global, I don't know, world-class availability, which is boring as hell, and turned it into something that's fun and memorable, right? Mm. Yeah, instead of, right? So you can't let teams do that, right? What's very, very important is that being clear is mandatory. Being creative and fun is optional. So if you write a joke on a OKR and nobody gets it, rewrite the joke, right? <laughs> so uh, an objective that nobody gets, nobody understands is useless. So it's better to write something like improve a viability which is, yeah, not a very engaging, but at least it's clear, then writing something that is fun, but it's totally impossible to, for anyone to understand. Right? So, uh, but it starts by giving people uh, a problem or opportunity, right? So it's not about launching a new feature, but why are we launching a new feature? Right? What are we trying to achieve with it? What's the benefit, right? And that's why uh, a small change that we can make is when you start describing that the objective is about what we want to improve, just that single word "improve" makes it a little bit harder to think about launching a feature, right? Because mm -hmm. I want to improve something, so it's not about launching ten features anymore, right? And it's definitely not about launching, I don't know, or twenty points, story points, right? Because it's not actually improving anyone's life, right? So. That, fo focusing on the benefits, the outcomes you want to achieve, that's the core conversation that needs to happen 
uh, to write a great OKR. Very cool. Now, you know, we talked about the objective piece of the OKR and how it's the kind of responsibility of the leadership to come up with those. Now, moving on to the key results uh, part of the OKRs, now who is in charge of coming up with these key results? Yeah, I would like to just to, to rephrase that. Uh, leadership, they don't have to create the objective. They come up with the problem to solve or the opportunity that comes from the strategy. The actually wording of the objective can and should come up come from the teams because writing the objective itself is an exercise that will help engage the team, right? Mm -hmm. So again, I can tell you, yeah, let, let's imagine I'm the manager, I can tell you, okay, we need to improve availability and then you can come up with up engaging objectives like party like is 99.99% uptime, for example, right? So I, I can tell you, make the web faster and you can, come up, some, write something like, make the web as fast as flipping to a magazine, right? So uh, the problem to solve or the opportunity comes from the, the leadership, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then the objective can be written together with, with both squads, both the team members and, and leadership, for example, right? Uh, but even the, the problem to solve itself, it's worthy of having a conversation, right? That idea from John Cutler, try to poke holes on my mental model. Because sometimes the problem can be wrong, the objective can be wrong. So having that openness, that dialogue is important. And asking, is this the real problem we're trying to solve? Because sometimes the, the strategy is correct, but we are, the way we're describing the problem is not very precise, for example. So having that conversation is crucial. And that openness for debate and dialogue is very, very important. Uh, and then coming for, for the key results, uh, sometimes when the the problem is a known one, right? Hey, uptime. Yeah, you want to improve availability. Yeah, we're talking about uptime, right? So mm -hmm. just like two or three matters we're talking about. So sometimes the, the key results are very, very clear. It's almost a given, right? And that's fine. But more often than not, what happens is you're working on something that is new. And, and when you're working on a new problem, almost by definition, you have never measured it before because it's new. Right? And yeah. the finding, creating the key results themselves is a big part of the problem, right? So having that conversation is crucial to engage the teams because unless they understand the key results, they will never be able to test different ideas to move them. If I don't understand a metric, how can I contribute to it? It's impossible, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the idea is usually the leaders come up with the, the problem to solve, the opportunity, or another way to describe it, sometimes they, they create, a, they come up with a, with a benefit, like, oh, we need to make the life of the customer simpler while doing this task here in our product. Make it simpler. There's, there are several different ways to measure what's simpler, right? So sometimes right. they come up with, with a problem, and then the team works together with, the, with leaders to, hey, what are the key results? How are we going to measure it? Okay. And then there's a, there's a conversation and that, again, that's crucial uh, for engaging the teams and ensuring they actually understand the key results. I see. Now, it's very interesting uh, you put it that way, Philip. Uh, now, you mentioned that, you know, even the problem or the benefit that comes from the leadership, they should open it up to the team to kind of like, hey, poke, poke, poke a hole in it, something like that. Now, would you say 
they should open it to the whole team or maybe just like the product, the kind of product manager or product designer or tech lead or like the whole engineering team? Like how, how uh, you know, what's the, what's the spectrum of like this, this uh, concept of like putting it up there for, you know, challenge? It's always the whole team. Uh, it doesn't mean everybody will engage. Right? So it's everybody, mm -hmm. it's always, uh, everybody can participate if they want to, right? Uh, sometimes one engineer doesn't want to engage that much, it's totally fine. But usually you'd be surprised of how much people actually engage when they actually mm -hmm. start understanding the metrics, understanding things. Uh, I, I remember uh, a few years ago as I was working with a FinTech uh, uh, startup, uh, and I remember a product manager telling me, I spent the last two years trying to get my engineers, the years that work with me, to actually read the, the, the support tickets, right? Because we have mm -hmm. our customers asking for help and they never read it, never. Now, they created a, a result which is to reduce the, the, the support tickets and they are reading every single one of them <laughs> mm -hmm. without me telling them to do that. Because no. they realize it's important for them, they decided it's important for them, they, so they want to do it, right? And we have lots and lots of research on, on, on goals that shows that whenever people are part of creating the goal, their, their engagement is way higher. The engagement goes way up. So that's why setting the, the metrics, setting the key results is a core part of the role of the team. And again, preferably everyone in the team can engage and will engage. Eventually, someone will be less engaged, and that's just fine. And over time, uh, that that can change, and people can, can usually become more and more engaged as the more they see the value of it. Yeah, it's a sense of ownership that they have over the yeah. problem, right? That's right. Exactly. Right. And again, with the same problem, reading the turbo ticket. The moment they decided it's important for us, they started doing mm -hmm. it, right? Because that ownership, we yeah. selected that. It's not something that was imposed to us, not something that came top down, whatever. It, we decided it's important, so we own it. Right. No, I love that. Uh, so, what are some? What are uh, you know? We would say uh, the most factors, uh, the most actually important factors when defining key results, in your opinion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the first one is a key result has to be measurable, right? So there's a a, a formula that comes from Intel, right? which is called the, the so what, sorry, the, the as measured by formula. The idea is uh, to write a good OKR, you have to say what you want to improve and also how you're going to measure it. So it's, I will improve dot, 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 as measured by dot, 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 right? So the idea is you, I will improve your objective and as measured by a set of key results. So the role of a key result, Sort of key results actually to decide how you're going to measure if you're being successful, right? So the very first thing is that a key result has to be measurable, very first thing. So qualitative key results is the, the dumbest idea you can have in OKR because it doesn't make any sense because it's, uh, it's lack of understanding of the core concept of OKR, right? So mm -hmm. don't do qualitative key results. Uh, all key results have to have a number, very, very basic. So this is a, a great advice from Marisa Meyer, used to be a VP of product from Google, to the first female engineer from Google. Uh, uh, so uh, it has to have a number. Uh, and uh, a good key result measures an outcome, meaning a benefit, either for your customers or for a company, right? 
So I usually say that uh, a key result has to pass the so what test. Meaning you present an OKR and, for example, launch a new app. So what? What's the benefit? What's the outcome? Or somebody presents a key result such as create an engagement program. So what? We don't want a, a program. We want higher engagement. So let's measure that. Right? So a good key result has to be measurable, has to have a number, it has to pass the SOA test, meaning it measures uh, a measurable benefit, it's an outcome for the customer or for the company. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, a less obvious um, criteria is that a key result means you have to know where you're going to get the data from. Because sometimes people do what I call magic measurement, mm -hmm. where they say, oh, we're going to increase, improve the cultural fit from X to Y. They say, okay, how are you going to measure cultural fit? Oh, we don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so unless you know where you're going to unless you know where you're going to get the data from, you don't have a key result yet, right? So okay. this is a trickier, uh, and this is, a, I would say, a, more, a little bit more sophisticated mistake, but it happens a lot. Right, yeah, that's such a good point, especially the last one, and like actually you have to make sure you can measure it, it's actually, it's, yeah. it's, it's possible. Being right? Yeah, being measurable in theory doesn't count, right? Or mm -hmm. someone else can measure it, doesn't count. Right now, uh, on the on the one that you mentioned, it has to be a number. I'm assuming you're talking about like a ratio or percentage. It can't be an absolute number, right? Oh yeah, it can. It can be increasing for, I don't know, for ten to twenty-five. Yeah, it can be a number. Increase mm -hmm. sales from actual. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a percentage. It depends. Oh, okay. on What are you measuring? Right. Depends on what you're measuring. Um, remember, we're talking about support tickets or trouble mm -hmm. tickets could be reduced customer complaints from X to Y. It can be absolute numbers. Reducing trouble tickets from X to Y, for example. It doesn't have to be a percentage or, or a ratio necessarily. Depends on, if it's a high growth company, if the baseline is changing, maybe a, a ratio is, is a better one, but doesn't necessarily ha has to be a, a, a ratio. It depends. I see. I see. Very cool. Now, now how often do you recommend uh, you know tracking these OKRs, Philippe? Yeah, that's another usual uh, common misconception. Um, but OKR, we, we usually plan OKRs every quarter, but you track them every week, usually, mm. right? Because the, the whole point of, uh, of OKR is that you are course correcting uh, as you go throughout the quarter, right? And uh, the analogy I, I usually use is, imagine you're using your GPS, I don't know, Waze or Google Maps, and it told you, say, once uh, here, hey, you took a wrong left turn like in January and you've been going the wrong direction for 11 months now, right? So the idea is uh, you want your GPS to be almost, to be real time, and you want your request to be almost real time if possible, right? So the idea is you're measuring every week and you're course correcting, meaning you're adjusting your backlog, you're just you're testing different ideas, right? Uh, based on what's working and what's not working. Uh, by far the most common approach is to uh, do the OKR checking every week. A few squads choose to do it every other week, like twice a month. That's fine too. Right. Right. Very cool. Now, if you want to give us maybe, you, you gave us like maybe a few examples here and then, but are, are there any, you know, uh, examples, other examples you want to give us on like on good key results that maybe teams could define? 
Yeah, the first of all, uh, one good approach is to try to measure the changes in behaviors from from uh, your your customers, right? So, meaning, are they are recommending more uh, user engagement? Are they using your feature? Are they recommending to others? Are they, they buying more? Are they are we reducing the rate of cancellation, the rate of churn? Those all could be good key results, right? Because sometimes uh, I work with with teams that are either so detached from from the, the actual uh, customer problem that they are either only uh, used to doing, say, engineering metrics, or percent task coverage, or medium time to repair, or uptime, uh, or they basically do surveys. Oh, we do satisfaction service over and over and over again, because they don't realize they can actually measure how people are actually using the product. So something uh, that is very common is to, to measure that the behaviors using the product, yeah? Uh, more, say, maybe something as simple as uh, active users, uh, monthly active users for a given part of the product, number of people that actually create a, a, a report and share it. Right? So measuring those user behaviors is a, is a great example, can be a great example of key results. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Thanks for sharing. Now, uh, does the size of the company or let's say business model B2B or B2C or even industry affect, uh, you know, how effective our OKRs are for them? Uh, no, it's more, I wouldn't say industry or um, it's more if it's, remember when we started talking the beginning about the, the, the Tinkerbell approach, right? And that OKR comes right. from a very different model. The, the closer you are to say the Silicon Valley approach or the Silicon Valley culture and practices, the easier it is to adopt OKR, right? Mm -hmm. So say industry, yeah, we are in banking. Yeah, if you're talking about a FinTech and a digital bank, yeah, it's probably way closer to, to, to the Silicon Valley model. It's easier and easier to adopt OKR than versus a traditional bank, which is usually way harder to adopt OKR. So it's not usually about industry or business model. Uh, it's usually more about the, if you're closer to a more traditional culture and practices than anything else, right? Uh, size definitely, uh, it doesn't affect effectiveness, effectiveness of OKR, but it can uh, make it uh, harder because as you scale, uh, aligning can be harder and harder depending on the structure, right? That, definitely can be uh, uh, an issue. Um, you also mentioned B2B, B2C. Usually B2C is things that tend to be easier to measure. Mm -hmm. um, or another aspect could be anything that has longer feedback loops like hardware it tends to be because of the longer loops, they tend to be uh, a little bit tricky to use OKR, but it's still doable, right? Because hmm. we have several companies that do hardware that are experimenting fast these days, so it's um, that's not an excuse to not use an OKR. It just, of course, it's harder than a, a SaaS company, for example. Right, right. So, um, when would you recommend basically not using OKRs? Now, you kind of like t touched upon it a little bit, but I'm curious to know, like explicitly, what are like situations where actually you don't recommend using OKRs? 
uh, whenever you want to simply tell teams what to do. If you want to simply use OKR just to say, hey, I want those features, you don't need OKR. <laughs> uh, a, 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 backlog, a backlog is way better than that. Uh, I, I usually say if it, fits, if it fits Jira, it's not a key result, right? Yeah. If you put it on Jira, it's not a key result, right? Mm. Uh, so if you basically want to make a copy of your backlog, why do you need OKR? Right? You don't need it. So that's definitely when not using OKR. And that includes, oh, we don't want to change. We want to remain using it. We just want to say we use OKR. Yeah, that's usually a failure. Uh, there's a, a true story from a very large bank where uh, they had a dashboard, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, and it was the same dashboard for years. And then from one meeting to the next, uh, they changed the label to OKR. And then the CIO got in the room, hey, those are our OKRs. The exact same dashboard they had like the week before, right? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true story. But that, that's not what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Uh, so definitely don't use OKR in that scenario. Sure. I can even say from my own experience, I've been in teams where, you know, they call it like daily scrums and there's nothing scrum about that model. It's like pure waterfall, but just they call it scrum for the sake of calling it scrum. I kind of feel like they kind of, it's more fashionable, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So that, that's definitely uh, OKR in, in name only. That's a very, very common issue and definitely, um, that doesn't add any value. We only frustrate people at the end because it will fail. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Now, you know, from your experience, I was wondering if you can give us a few examples of, you know, doing OKRs basically have gone wrong, basically, not meeting the purpose. Yeah, it's usually, uh, first of all, this type of company that doesn't want to change, right? Uh, so, uh, for example, once I've worked with, uh, uh, CPG company, uh, consumer packaged goods uh, company in the past several years ago. And first of all, the CEO said, yeah, we want to do it. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, let's do OKR. And we did a, a workshop with all the the C-suite and the, the direct reports. And we had all the direct reports writing OKRs and they were really good, etc. And then a couple weeks later, I got a call for the company. Yeah, we kind of were going, you kind of went to go back to the way we were before, and again, just to give some projects to them to work on. I say, why? Oh, they're, they're not able to write OKRs, but they just shown you that they wrote OKR. You approved the mm -hmm. OKR. Yeah, but we want to give them projects anyway. So that's definitely an example of, uh, of uh, OKR going wrong, right? <laughs> uh, sometimes people don't want to measure it. Sometimes people don't want to track them. Sometimes um, there's a, a romantic view of OKR, where just by adopting it and without tracking it, it's magic. Right? Uh, and actually, OKR requires a lot of discipline because you have to track them every week. You have to run experiments, collect evidence, and then make decisions based on evidence. It's a lot of discipline, right? And a lot of, and so, and sometimes people don't want to do it, right? They lack the discipline to do it. They want to just do the fun part of OKR without actually doing the hard work. So that's definitely something that uh, gone wrong. And I always say that the first uh, most important success factor in any OKR adoption is that senior leaders, they have to show commitment and consistency. 
they have to show commitment because it's a journey. You you won't get OKR right the first time. So you always like developing different muscles and evolving over time. And you have to show consistency because you have to change the way you do one-on-ones, the way you do town halls, the way you do reports. Everything has to be aligned around that new language, which is OKR. So OKR uh, creates a shared language to allow people to talk about priorities, right? Uh, and everything, everyone has to use that same language. So I have several examples where either the senior leaders didn't want to do it, they lack the discipline, or sometimes senior leaders say, yeah, no salaries, yeah, you can use OPR, of course. And again, and he said, okay, how about you, boss? No, that's not for me. That's just for you, you, you teams. We don't need, we don't need that. We don't need that. And of course, <laughs> that doesn't work. Of course. Yeah. I remember from this saying that says, you know, uh, there was this funny picture of a showing who, who wants change and everybody in the room kind of like raised their hand. And uh, now they asked who wants to change and nobody raised their hands because, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I want other people to change. I want magically to change. And the fact right. is, uh, uh, we discussed in the beginning, there's a lot of unlearning going on. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the, the provocations I usually do with, with executives is uh, they often tell, tell me, yeah, we're going to be a data-driven company. I say, yeah, oh, fine. that's cool. So you know that when you are a data-driven company, you can say, I have 20 years of experience in this industry. But that doesn't count anymore. You have to actually show the evidence. We don't actually care much about your experience. Yeah. And then they, they actually are, oh my gosh, I guess you're right. So uh, I'm not saying that 20 years of experience is totally irrelevant, right? But your all of your years of experience basically allow you to create some ideas that need to be tested just like any other ideas. They are as likely to work or not as any other ideas, right? So uh, this is very, this is something that can take a while to unlearn. So I keep going back to that concept of unlearning. And Barry mm-hmm. O'Reilly has a great book on the topic called Unlearn, which I always mention, because it's a core part of um, adopt Nokia. You have to unlearn the old model. That's crucial. Very cool. I'm, I'll make sure to put a link uh, of the book Unlearn uh, in the description for, for our listeners. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Uh, cool. So, I mean, uh, Felipe, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Now, where can our listeners, you know, learn more about the work that you do? Yeah, uh, just go to my website, uh, FelipeCastro.com. We can include a link so people can know how to spell it. Uh, yeah, but just go to my website. There's a ton of free material uh, on OKR. I also do a, a newsletter. So there's a ton of uh, OKR material on my website. Very cool. Well, uh, Philippe, thank you so much for being on the PM Hub Podcast show and talking about OKRs. Thanks a lot for having me, Cyrus. That's it for this week's episode of PM Hub Podcast, guys. Now, if you enjoyed this episode on the show, uh, feel free to share it with your network on your social media and consider leaving a five-star review so we can actually reach more audience. If you have any suggestions, uh, recommendations, please feel free to uh, send it over to me on, on my email. at cyrus at productmanagerhub.org or you can just find me on social media i'm all over the place and i can let just let me know now we can get all the tips and action items uh, of this uh, episode for free 
at this bit.ly link that I'm going to give you is bit.ly forward slash pmhub15. Also subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you'll never miss any of the future episodes. I'm Sire Slayman, and until next show, stay safe and healthy.